We're on, and we're here at the Dark Horse Podcast, and it's the Boston edition. Uh, we, me and John Fadigates, sitting across from me, traveled from New York this morning. Hello. For the grand opening of Staples Connect. And we're in the iHeart Podcast in Studio. iHeart Podcast at Studio. At Staples Connect. At Staples Connect. Uh, to, my less, to my left <laughs> is Alyssa Meckel. Hello. Who's, can I call you the brainchild of this? operation uh sure uh team effort you know but uh sure i like that yeah i'll take it i'm gonna say brainchild i'm gonna say brainchild also all right i like it and then across from Alyssa is jason freshman hello there Happy you go here. this is your first podcast no no you're not quite that special donnie but it's the <laughs> one i've been the most excited for and since yesterday when I mentioned this to you. Uh, yes. There certainly. you go. Uh, when, you but, when you butt dialed me trying to call somebody more important. <laughs> <laughs> and I got stuck with you. I'm like, oh, no, I got to right. ask you to be on the podcast. Donnie did ask me if I knew anybody cooler than me in Boston that I could recommend. But unfortunately. If not, then we'll settle for you. Yeah. Well, uh, but thanks for being here. Thanks for having and me. And you grew up around here? I did. I grew up in Sharon, Massachusetts, uh, which I've come to learn has some meaning for you. A lot of meaning, meaning uh, it's my mom's name, uh, and it's near Milton, Massachusetts, mm. and Milton was Which is where Alyssa dad. lives Yes, that's where currently. I live, yes. As I understand. So I love Alyssa to speak to the listeners and tell them what's, what's happening here. What have you been working on at Staples Connect? Yeah, so in the Boston market, uh, we built seven new podcasting spaces as part of our new community space within Staples Connect. Um, and really, Staples is trying to branch out from the days of red shelving and pens and paper and ink, because really you can get that anywhere. But what you can't get is... Uh, My kids do love the Staples aisles. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we still have pens. I mean, you look out, with, there's pens in the store. We, we still have that. But uh, we're focusing more on community um, and building community. And we're going... We're going big in podcasting as part of that, so very exciting. And how how long has podcasting been on your radar for? Probably about a year. We kicked we kicked the tires. Uh, we had a closet in Brighton that we outfitted into a podcast studio, um, and now we are out of the closet and we have very uh, acoustically treated spaces um, with great equipment, uh, but also easy to use. We really want to bring podcasting um, more accessible to the community. I think we should paint a little picture for the listeners of like where we are right now. Cause like <laughs> we're right in like the middle of like the heart of Boston in a Staples. Is that, is that Thaniel Hall right there? Is that what that is? Or am I? Am yeah. I, yeah it's okay. Sorry. Thaniel Hall. Sorry. Um, with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. With Kevin Bacon. <laughs> we're right there in a Staples. So like you well, go into a Staples. People don't know why Kevin Bacon is right outside. Okay. Sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> because we're <laughs> talking about painting a picture. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw that detail out there and move on. Kevin Bacon's right outside. They are filming with Kevin Bacon right outside, actually. What is the show they're filming? Uh, City on a Hill. City Showtime. on a Hill. But we're in this Staples and you walk up to the second floor and you walk into this huge co-working space that they've built. And there's people here and they're walking around and there's a kitchen. People are making cappuccinos and then there's a podcast studio right there. And then you look right out and there's a bunch of people working and there's entrepreneurs. So they've really created like this whole space all built around entrepreneurs, hot, hot desking, and then content creators 
specifically podcasters. So it's very cool what you guys have done. And we bring up the fact that you're the brainchild of this because our first meeting with Staples actually, we came up here and Alyssa showed us the studio that she had built. And like she, and I know that you, you had like about a year of experience at most of just like figuring this out, but you knew more about podcasting than most people do that have worked in the industry for a long time. Like she knew every single thing about the mics and this and that and, you know, and, and compression versus blah, 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 blah. So that was impressive. Ah, thank you. Um, I had to get my MBA in audio engineering in about four months. So, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a whirlwind, but it's interesting. Uh, I'm a category merchant now my category is podcasting. So it's pretty cool. And you're, I feel like you're making work fun again. Oh yeah. I mean, I love what I like do. Donald Trump slogan. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, thank but, you. But, I mean, okay. to come into a space, um, and share the space with entrepreneurs and has a, have access to a podcast studio. Yeah. It's awesome. What I love about this is it's new to market. We have seven studios that all have consistent uh, acoustic treatments. They all have consistent equipment, um, consistent layout. So that consistency was really lacking in the market as far as, you know, providing that space for people to record. Um, And I feel like this is first to market. You know, we have seven studios. I don't know any other provider that has seven studios. And we have 1,100 locations. So our goal is to really create a network of these. Pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And I mean, I'm sure you're proud of what you built. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very proud. I'm more um, I'm more honored that folks like you came up and you know are excited to be here. I'm excited. So um, I'm. That's what I'm really happy about is seeing it in use and hearing you guys talk about how awesome it is. So that makes me happy. And I mean, on a lighter note, what are, what are your some what are some of your favorite podcasts? Um, so Besides mine. I'm, a am guilty as charged and I've been asked this question. Um, I've been so focused on the ex- execution side, listening to podcasters and what frustrates, frustrates them and what they need in order to get their podcasts off the ground that I actually don't listen to podcasts. I haven't really had time to get into my own content. I have listened to a couple of Joe Rogan's, but that's about it. <laughs> Wait, so you decided I'm only going to listen to one podcast and it's the longest podcast that there possibly is. So I seven actually, hours okay. and you got two episodes done. <laughs> so uh, I do listen though, in, in fair, in all fairness, I listened to it before I got assigned this project. So, um, so it, Ever since I got assigned to it, I have not had time to listen to podcasts uh, because I drive to work and I have a two-year-old in the car who's constantly screaming. And uh, me, I like to I like to really listen and pay attention. What podcast does your two-year-old listen to? Oh, uh, Joe Rogan. <laughs> Microdosing explained to a two-year-old. <laughs> Probably Elmo. <laughs> exactly. Uh Jason, what about you? Are you a podcast listener? Um, I'm not a huge podcast listener. Uh, there are a few podcasts that I've listened to from time to time. I actually, a friend told me about the Conan O'Brien podcast, and I listened to the episode with he and Charles Barkley, mm-hmm. and that was really entertaining. I got to listen to that. Yeah. I, I love Barkley, and I think a Conan Barkley interview would be awesome. It was pretty good. Does they Barkley a, have a podcast? He yeah, absolutely he should. should. Right. He doesn't, I don't think, because he just saves it all for TNT. Yeah. But the the dynamic between, you know, because Barkley's almost always talking about basketball with other people who mm-hmm. know basketball, and Conan O'Brien is like the 
the least likely person to know anything about basketball. So (laughs) (laughs) hearing them interact in that way was good. So Uh, what did they talk about? They talked about, uh, well, so Conan was saying that he could be an NBA star. (laughs) And and so that was a piece of it. And then they just sort of talked about, you know, comedy and and basketball and the work that Barkley does for communities. I mean, he's a pretty charitable guy, it seems. I don't don't know him, but uh, it, it was entertaining. I'd recommend it. Conan's been very innovative with what he's doing because late night he knows is sort of like a di- not dying, but it's something that is aging and he's really changed it. He's brought his show down to half an hour now. He's invested a ton of his time into the podcast and it's definitely paying off. People love his podcast. So, so the second episode that was recommended to me was he and Jeff Goldblum and I listened to maybe 20 minutes of it and it got too weird <laughs> and, I, and I had to, I didn't, I didn't complete that one. So. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum's known for making it weird, but he's the man. Come on, it's Jeff oh, Goldblum. Yeah, yeah. Love no, him. I've just it's he, he, got he weird. Was, he was on the cusp of being me too. I think. But really? Like, like three months ago, there were like stories. There, were, uh, there were rumors that a story's going to break, but it never broke. Oh, yeah. hmm. interesting. All right, um, Alyssa, what um, what's your plan? Do you want to stay on or? Hop uh, off? I'll I'll step out and let you guys do your thing. So, so do we'll, you want to do a little outro? What was that? Do you want to say, are we going to do a little nah, outro? just edit it out after. And but Maybe um, you should have the birds chirping. I want to thank you for inviting us today. Uh, the space is awesome. Thank you. It's a, it's a great excuse to get out of New York and leave my family and away from come visit here. Away from the three once kids. Once every week, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> Got to go to Boston every week. <laughs> we would love to have you. Thank but you. It's, it's awesome what you've built. And congrats. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alyssa. Awesome. Thanks. Congrats. All right, Jason, thanks for coming today. We'll see you later. <laughs> you can leave now. I'm so glad you And that's another episode of the Butt Dial Podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, Jason, what's up, man? How so are now you? now it's like a little, it's a little lighter now. Yeah. Right. Is this, on, is this part of the podcast? Yeah, this is part of it. Oh, okay, yeah. great. Am I still yeah, here? Let's let Your headphones are off. You're it's still like, here. Is yeah, anything else coming off? Um, we'll see. <laughs> okay. um, but we, we have we have a little bit of history. You and right? I. We should tell uh, my dozens of listeners. <laughs> uh, you you broke a dozen. <laughs> uh, Congratulations. He's at a baker's know, dozen actually. <laughs> I didn't get any. We got the thirteenth yesterday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, but we know we know through a mutual buddy. Yeah. Um, are we let us say his name. Sure. John Fanning. Um, who's, how would you describe him? He's a really unique dude. John, you met him. Of right? course. But I think you need to introduce Jason's totally too, though. Like, let's. We'll get there. We'll okay. Get there. Right. Not, I mean, it's been made very clear we'll to see me. if it makes it. Hopefully you read I'm the show not, notes if you're listening. I'm not significant. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how, talk about John. Talk about talk, John. Talk about John. He didn't even not talk about you. himself yet. Not you. <laughs> not not but me. I, I met you through John. That's true. Yes. That's true. That was some time um, ago but now, But he's right? like a serial entrepreneur. He's a serial entrepreneur. Super smart guy. Super smart guy. Like mentor to a lot of entrepreneurs. That's I true. Myself that. included. Family man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's something you, I don't know. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he seems to be. I'm not a member I mean, of said family. He has a family. He does have a family. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, he don't know if he's a family. family man, but he has a family. <laughs> <laughs> With relative confidence, he does appear to be a family man. Um, so we met through him. Uh, yeah. And you guys. Well, like, so I, I pitched Donnie to invest in my company, to which uh, I don't think Donnie I don't ever said that. no to. Which one? 
Net capital. This one. I don't remember that. You really? <laughs> you pitched me to invest in net capital? Yeah. I don't remember that. Well, then, well, it kind of evolved into thinking about different ways to partner, yeah. thinking about different ways to, and we've, you know. It's never gone anywhere. I think Donnie we took just, that I meeting was, differently than you than you did, because I thought he was talking about you guys investing in our company at some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I think that's sort of, there was this. <laughs> you guys were at an investment stalemate. <laughs> well, I think you, you were trying to get John to invest in you. I don't know about that. No? You Don, guys just shuffled each other's John money from person to, to person. Nothing ever happened. Though we did. Well, I was oh, telling John. John wanted me to invest in his son. Yes. You <laughs> passed on that deal. John Jr. Yeah, you passed yeah, on that deal. Some like, gaming startup. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah. They're doing well, by the way. I, awesome. Yeah, Zelgor. Their first, is their, the, the company's name is Zelgor. Okay. First title will be Noob Tubes. Is uh, that like a porn like game? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like it doesn't sound like a porn game. No, no it is uh it's a game of aliens who have come to take over the world. Who look like of, Al Gore. It's sort of no. <laughs> they look very cute actually. It's sort of styled it's sort of styled like a game of risk where you're trying to take over territory after territory and the mechanism by which you do that is a food fight with the noob tube. So they're they're actually that's actually pretty cool. It is cool. They've actually cool. raised capital on net capital in the past. So if capital you, on net capital, yeah. What is net capital? Oh, now are we'll you get sure you? I don't know if that's so interesting to net, you. What is net capital? Well, net capital is the company that I founded uh, and currently the CEO of. Net capital is a platform that uh, digitizes private securities and makes them efficiently tradable. And so we work with companies, private companies such as Zelgor or later stage private companies. We help them onboard their securities and make them available to investors of all shapes and sizes. Investors can invest. The low, the smallest investment we've had on our site is 86 cents. The largest investment we've had on our site is, is <laughs> <laughs> well, we know. <laughs> you were actually, the lar- hold on, so the largest I I, investment I sold out. Is te- was $10 million. Um, so our very first deal. Me? Th- no, no, this is a great, <laughs> I forgot about this story until right now, but because you said that. So our very first deal, we launched, a, we opened a beta uh, towards the end of 2016. So what we do became legalized with, with these new laws in the Jobs Act in 2016. And so we opened a beta in 2016. We had two deals that were on the platform and we just wanted to make sure as best as we could that we had some activity and that the deals in the beta, you know, had some success. And so we we called anybody that we knew, that we liked, that we trusted, that maybe even we considered friends uh, and asked them to invest and try. I don't think we asked you to invest. We had asked, just try the site. We have mm-hmm. two opportunities for the first time. You can log in, you can try it. And so uh, Donnie was kind enough to log like in and to invest in a company. I don't remember the amount. That's not the important part of the story. The, the funny part is that I think I sold my shares. The first, so, so, <laughs> so, so, like one of my engineers were in like a standup, and one of my engineers says, "Oh, somebody, somebody used the withdraw function." We're like, oh, the first that's time for the first time ever. So, so through Net Capital, when you make an investment, the money sits in escrow uh, until the end date. And at any point, an investor, if they change their mind, they can the withdraw IRS their money. I'm like, it. I'm like, who, who withdrew? Uh, this guy, Donnie. Zoldan. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? 
<laughs> so you are the first I think person. John called me after that happened. You're the Dude, first did person. You withdraw, like your hundred dollars. <laughs> You're the first, and you were like, "Yeah, I thought that you wanted me to test all the functionality of the site, including the withdrawal function." <laughs> <laughs> that's what you said, and and I think that's the. the that only is like company. a Seinfeld move. I'm gonna invest that they saw that I'm using the platform and they just suck my money out immediately. It was great. Um, I don't remember why I withdrew. What your story was good. I don't think I was testing. I think I just like needed my <laughs> that hundred dollars. <laughs> I needed like hundred dollars. <laughs> I had to buy food. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So that's how long we've known each other. That's funny. So yeah, it's probably been like how long? Like like that was twenty sixteen. So so no, that's it. So well, I know so you before twenty sixteen. No, so that's when we that happened. So I must right. have known you maybe twenty fifteen. Yeah, that's funny. Oof. That was a good laugh. <laughs> so, um, could you do you think that Bitcoin, the whole like crazy cryptocurrency gold rush thing, where everybody's like, we're gonna just package our own coin and raise money that way, is that just like a complete like bust at this point, or is that still happening? Well, I mean, I might not be the exact right person for you to get an opinion on because Net Capital, I, I personally and Net Capital kind of took took a stance away from that Tulip Mania when that was happening. We we made a very conscious choice. I mean, there was a time period where I couldn't go anywhere in any meeting with anybody without somebody asking me, what's my stance on ICOs? What's my stance on crypto? What's my stance on Bitcoin? And we took a very uh, uh, far approach and said, look, uh, net capital already digitizes securities and makes them efficiently tradable. There's really uh, no value to us in using uh, something that's based on 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 Bitcoin in that way or or an ICO because we just didn't really see the value in it, um, and we you know cautioned investors against investing in an asset that wasn't backed by the company's equity, um, and so you know when the tulip mania was happening we we decided to stay away from it i think that was the the, the right move um and we've continued to to hold that opinion though i will say there's there are sort of three layers of of crypto and it's important to make a distinction so the first is blockchain technology which in and of itself is an interesting technology and their potential their their various potential is there a snore button <laughs> <laughs> yeah th that's where you know what? I'm actually part. very interested John I was getting a lot of <laughs> signals from John we're um, we're friends nobody so. breaks it down like this ever yeah. and that people don't realize either that a lot of crypto it, it has to do with raising money or that there, there's like raising money for actual businesses and that there's a function tied into it that has to do with with blockchain technology mm -hmm. people just look at it as like something that they're trying to buy and you know mm -hmm. and day trade and they don't even realize anything beyond that and and what the core of blockchain is this idea of a decentralized ledger system i don't know if do we need to google it that those words i for you? actually understand that you're part. with me there yeah. okay but you so, think a regular person well some can you give a, a quick example of like what that is no one's ever explained it well so it's the like idea blockchain. it's the idea that the system on which you're running this data or information is not held in one centralized location. It's being run across a network. And as a result, no one centralized location can be vulnerable for the data. And the idea is that that also creates efficiency. It kind of does and it kind of doesn't. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we want this to be a blockchain podcast, but I mean, the, the issue with that is that the, the net energy created on a decentralized, needed to run it is actually higher, but no one individual computer is running more, right? So one computer running a centralized ledger system would be higher energy than any one computer mm -hmm. in a decentralized mm -hmm. system, but all of the energy in the decentralized system probably outweighs 
the energy. You see what I mean? Yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely. So you couldn't have like a nature coin and like that would just be bullshit. I mean, it might. It mean? Mean? Well, I mean, he, what he's saying is like it, there's a ton of like energy, energy that yeah. needs to be used to do to decentralize. Right. But what's the, so like, you know, so no one computer. It, it could be like a million computers. Yeah. That's how it is. It is. Right. So you're using so much energy yeah. to run that whole system. But every one individual is using less. I, I have a question. Is it uh, the computers that are used? Is it like someone's like laptop or are these like servers that are in the data center you can use i don't think you can use a many laptops it would have to be a pretty powerful laptop but you can you can have like your own computer depending on if it's a strong enough computer you could how do you but you could mine bitcoin you'd be really bad at it with one computer like it would take you a really, really, really and, long and time. And also sucks up a lot of energy, right? When you mine. yes, it would it would suck up a lot of energy. I don't I, want to digress I'm not, I'm, too much, but I'm like really not an expert. Mining in this, is a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. Like, or or maybe not. Could you explain what mining is? I don't think I'm the. I, that was a song. <laughs> what? We should, we should paint a picture on our of mixer. Mine. Okay, so, all right. so so this isn't necessarily relevant. <laughs> we have sound to, effects to, on our mixer. To net capital. Press, we just press a button. Well, we can put that into the podcast so they'll hear it. Yeah. Okay, so so we just explained. All right, so you you explained uh, uh, decentralized. Um, kind of, as be, I mean, I, I'm not an expert, so I don't want to leave. Okay, people. so that was number one. Yeah. So oh oh so in terms of the three la- so the, yeah so there's blockchain and then one of the ways you can use blockchain is for currency like a bitcoin so bitcoin's one application and that's a currency so you know a bitcoin is just different than a US dollar could be used the same way and then there's also ICOs which were companies that were creating their own token where they're the bank and they're saying that this has value that can be redeemed in some specific way and selling that for millions, hundreds of millions, or in some cases, you know, significant, significant money. Those were the pieces that I stayed. I mean, Net Capital stayed far away from all three, but those are the th- those are the pieces that we cautioned everyone to stay away from because it's a little bit like an ICO was a little bit like an airline mile. It would be like buying Delta miles, right? Delta could, at the whim, decide that instead of four hundred miles for this flight, it's now four thousand miles for this flight. And you're like, well, I bought these 400 miles, you know, for $700. Now they're like valueless. Yeah. Oops. And the argument with, with Bitcoin was always that there is a finite amount of Bitcoin available. Therefore, if there was a real rush for it, the value would explode. Whereas some of these other cryptocurrencies could just create more coins at any moment. And like the f- and they can manipulate their currency in that sense. Right? It's possibly. Uh, Bitco- again, Bitcoin's at like the layer above an ICO, so Bitcoin would not be able to be manipulated in the same way that like a delta mile would be able to be manipulated, right? Because there are a finite number of them. But there's other coins as well that aren't actually even part of blockchain, right? Like, like isn't Ethereum not even like Ethereum's like the same thing as 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 Bitcoin? Okay. It's a different type of Bitcoin. It's a different type of blockchain. Did you hear about that, dude? He he started an exchange. Um, I think it was I think it was Canadian, and he disappeared. And he was the only one. I think like billions of Bitcoin were being traded, and he disappeared. Um, and he was the only one that had the password. So, like, people <laughs> lost like. That's crazy. Everything. Yeah, I don't know. I again. Vanity Fair just did like a big piece on. I'm that. not an expert in this. I don't aspire to be an expert in it. I've stayed away from it. I've guided net capital away from it. It doesn't seem... So here's my perspective on it. Like Like the reason why ICOs exploded 
was because there's this demand from retail regular old investors to invest in innovation. And when they started hearing that like, oh, I could buy tokens of this new hot company and I could resell those tokens and make money in six months, nine months, 12 months. Wow, I've never had this opportunity before. I need to get in it even if I didn't understand actually the security that I was buying or even if it was a security. And so from Net Capital's perspective, we already create essentially the same value with an actual equity security because we're taking a company like Zelgor, right? And we're saying, hey, digitize your common stock security and onboard it onto Net Capital and make it available for purchase by anyone. People can invest $100, people can invest $100,000, people can invest a million dollars, right? Whatever they want, they can purchase your stock and they can then hold it in their net capital dashboard and their net capital wallet. And if they'd like to resell those securities, they can click the sell button and that makes an offer out to the world mm -hmm. and anybody could buy those those securities. And so we, we essentially found a way to create a very similar process with an actual equity security. So we never really saw any value to the whole token ICO mm -hmm. craze. And, and this is all made available from these new laws as put in place by the Jobs Act. And so it's really exciting and it's revolutionary and it's it changes the way that entrepreneurs can think about raising capital. And it also, for you know the 97% of Americans who are not qualified as what's called an accredited investor, so the not wealthiest 3% of Americans, they can invest in startup companies and private companies of any size for the first time. What, what are some companies on the platform that you're excited about? Um, as the CEO of a funding portal, I can't be excited about any one particular company. That's you could say no one's listening. <laughs> well, there's like 13 people. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, you know, <laughs> Baker's 12. dozen. I heard <laughs> I heard there was a Baker's dozen on the subscriber <laughs> list. Uh, all right, so there, there's a whole suite of companies. We're industry yeah. agnostic, so the way we think of it is, if you're a private company and you're innovating, then we are interested in working with you. Mm -hmm. So we've listed over 100 companies on the site at any given time. There's you know 10 to 20 companies that are actively raising capital. What's like the vetting process like? So it's a we we are not a, a venture firm. We're not a selection house in that way. So we're not um, we're not endorsing any company and saying mm -hmm. this company is a winner, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Our process is objective. So we're registered with fin we're members of Finra. We're registered with the SEC. What's we're what's called a funding portal. And as that, we have a process that we do diligence on every company. It's a hundred forty four item checklist that our compliance team needs to go through mm -hmm. to list any deal. The way to think of it is like if we're a road and you're a car trying to get on our road, we're not going to say we like the blue car, but we don't like the red car, mm -hmm. but we are going to check to make sure right. you you're, you have four tires, you have right, your state right. inspection sticker, you have up-to-date car insurance, right? We're doing like the objective checks mm -hmm. to make sure mm -hmm. that it's real, mm -hmm. uh, but we're not saying this is going to be a great investment because mm -hmm. they're high risk, high reward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are the things that contribute to a stock price beyond besides just like, uh, you know, demand for a, a particular stock? That's a tough question. <laughs> in the in the public markets, you're saying, or or on the net on net capital, it could be. I mean, I'm. It's just something I've been trying to wrap my head around. Yeah, I don't think there's an easy answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, it's the easiest answer is supply and demand, right? Like, if more people want to buy than want to sell, then the price goes up until it finds an equilibrium. And if more people want to sell than to buy, then the price goes down until you find that equilibrium. So 
that's the easiest answer is supply and demand. That's how it works on net capital. We don't help set price. We let the buyers and the sellers set price. So if you're a company, if you're John Jr. Mm-hmm. at Zelgor, we say to John, we say, whatever valuation you want to put on your company, that's that's your prerogative. Um, we might, you know, say, hey, this seems a little high, this seems a little low, but ultimately it's it's the entrepreneur's choice. And, you know, they're the ones out running their fundraising campaign using net capital as a technology to help them do that. So in many ways, we're like an efficiency tool because, you know, John wasn't able to get you you to invest when he met with you in a sort of traditional pitch Mm -hmm. setting, Mm -hmm. but maybe he'd be able to get you to put and then withdraw $100 if he did his net capital offering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it lowers the activation energy. Yeah, yeah. That's actually happened quite a few times. We've had uh, I, we've had some really fantastic investors, like really like famous investors use our site mm-hmm. and just not invest at the level that they typically do. So a type of angel investor uh, who typically invests 100 to $250,000 mm-hmm they ended up participating in a deal for $10,000 just because they wanted to be a part of the deal. It just didn't, it was too early or it didn't fit their niche quite strongly enough, but still as the entrepreneur, they get all of the benefit of that individual's help and advice mm-hmm. and capital. What, what does uh, a day look like for you at net capital? What does a day look like for me? Yeah. Well, in the winter in Boston, you wake up and it's <laughs> kind of sad <laughs> and gloomy and cold. And you live alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm not married. <laughs> um, so I, a day in the life of me, I mean, it, it, it kind of depends on the day. I think that's so like, what do you do? Like, where do you spend most of your time at the company? So we have an like office in here area? in Boston. We have an office in New York. I spend. I I probably would say that I spend most of my time out evangelizing the company. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still relatively early stage ourselves. Um, you know, I, I sort of have an interesting vantage point in the entrepreneurial ecosystem because I'm a startup company mm-hmm. that helps startup companies and other private companies raise capital though we still raise capital for ourselves to sustain ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I'm usually out meeting with people in the community because there's so many opportunities, right? Like you take someone like yourself, it's somebody who could potentially invest in the business, could Mm -hmm. potentially use our site to invest in the Mm -hmm. business, could potentially introduce me to companies that want to use our product. And so that's really the most valuable thing that I'm doing and also building partnerships. For us in 2020, we see we're pursuing a few really exciting, larger institutional partnerships because in many ways what we've done, the private markets are large. $2.4 $2.4 trillion, according to the Wall Street Journal, was invested in the private markets uh, per year. And that's larger than the amount that goes into initial offerings on the public markets. Mm-hmm. That's a large market. And almost all of those transactions transactions are happening manually, are happening inefficiently. It's all with paper. It's all with phone calls. It's all with emails. And so we've built a technology system that digitizes these securities and makes them efficiently tradable. And so most of what we've done since we opened our beta when, you know, a few years ago has been adding net new dollars to the space and saying, well, that $2.4 trillion is only coming from the 3% of America that qualifies accredited investors. So angel investors, hedge funds, venture funds, institutions, family offices, things of that nature. Why don't we open this asset class up to 100% of Americans to use or all over the world, by the way, we have investors from all over the world. They don't have to be American uh, citizens to participate on net capital. 
And that's been really successful and really interesting. And now what we're thinking is now that we've proved that this technology works, we create efficiency in these transactions, let's go and partner with some of the groups that are transacting the 2.4 trillion that already exists and saying, hey, we can simply do this better. Instead of doing this over email and phone call, do it in an automated fashion mm-hmm. using this technology. And so that's that's one of the things that I've been focused on for 2020. How long ago did you start the company? Uh, so we we opened the so we opened the beta we discussed in in it's like sort of the end of 2016. And then we really launched in January of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, we started down this path sort of December 2015, January 2016. We had to jump through. We were you know at the time we were a five person team, and you were involved like right out of college, pretty much. No? Yeah, yeah. I started the company right out of college, yeah. basically, wow. <clears throat> and I. Were, you you know, were your parents entrepreneurs? My parent, well, that's a that's I've never actually been asked that question. So my my grandfather, that was good. I didn't expect that from you. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> what what sound effect are we doing? Clap. Sorry, okay. we'll find it. Sometimes I have hmm. good questions. Sometimes, it's a f- don't let it go to your head. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I, my family is entrepreneurial. I my parents maybe, but so my my. My mother's father's father, so my great-grandfather, uh, when he immigrated here from Russia, started a food service equipment uh, mm-hmm. factory in Dorchester, Massachusetts. And my grandfather sort of took that business over, and that was the, the family business. And then, and then similarly, um, my father's side of the family, my father's mother's family. Wait, so your your mother's father's father? Yes. Started it. Started. And then your mother's father went into the family business? My mother, yes. And, and then was your mother in the business? My mother was like around the business. Um, okay. she, she didn't like directly go into the business. And then when she had kids, that was sort of her passion. Mm-hmm. She's the best mother in the world. Mm-hmm. And so that was really her focus. Um, but before she had kids, she was involved in the business, mm-hmm. but she wasn't she wasn't leading the business. My grandfather really led Mm -hmm. the business. Um, And then adjacent to that, totally adjacent to that, is my father's side of the family also had a family business in food service equipment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and they were more of a rep group doing more sales. Mm -hmm. And when my, my father's father passed away when my father was very young. He was only 17 when he lost his dad. So unfortunately I never met him when that happened, that business kind of shuttered and he and his mom started a new business where they were, they were this rep group. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately he came and visited the factory in Dorchester and my mom gave my father the tour mm-hmm. and that's how they uh, met. Well, uh, <laughs> so, cool. so yeah, so entrepreneurship does, I suppose, run in the family. Um, and so my father got involved with, with, with my mom's family business. And so he, he and my grandfather worked together for a long time. And when you were, uh, if I remember correctly, you went to college in Florida, Miami, right? Yeah. Go Canes. Um, when you were in school, what, what did you want to do? <laughs> I studied neuro. Did you know this? I studied neuroscience. I think I didn't know that. So I, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was a neuroscience major. I always, I was, you wanted to be a doctor. I don't, I don't, I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I still don't think I know what I want to be. Like, how do you know what you want to be? Right? Like, I think that I was fortunate enough to be 
good at school and when you get A's in your science classes, you tend to get pushed in that direction. Mm -hmm. So my experience was like, I was getting A's in all of these classes, though the science classes are the hard ones. So you must be even better at that. Mm -hmm. And so I got sort of pushed in that direction. And it wasn't until my senior year of high school, I took an AP psychology class, which I loved. And so I decided I was going to do something with psychology. Um, and I, I initially enrolled undecided at the University of Miami, and I was looking through their major list, and they had neuroscience. I was like, what is neuroscience? And it was this combination of psychology and basic sciences. I was like, I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of picked it, and I became very fascinated with it. I'm still very fascinated with it from an academic perspective. I did cognitive neuroscience research at a, at a lab when I was in Miami, and I also did medical oncology research up here at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute for some time. And I just ultimately didn't see that as a career path for me. I wanted to do, I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do something uh, that was a little faster. It was a little slow for me. Like the, the process, medical research is hard. And, and, and the process from which getting an idea into production where you're actually helping real people who are actually struggling with something is painstakingly long. And in many ways, the way I've described it, it's like a relay race where you just put down the baton and hope someone picks it up. Like you don't even know who's on your team. Because when I was at Dana-Farber, I was at the very first leg of the race where we were doing super... Uh, basic bench research on various factors or uh, uh, whatever compounds we thought could have, you know, some effect on prostate cancer or breast cancer. Um, and the sort of sound effect. Okay. <laughs> 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 the, the end goal there is you just publish a paper. You publish um, a paper in, in a journal and then you just hope that some other research team takes it the next step. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, he just okay. I'm gonna well, let you take that. No, no, go well, ahead. Well, he did say that. Like, he, it, how do you know? Like, how do you, who? How do we know who we want to be? Big question. Oh, but, you know, I guess those are two different questions. See, okay. So John is what we call an active listener. <laughs> Donnie is what we call <laughs> on his phone. Gotta, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's uh, some ideas that you have. Where, how old are you now? Twenty-seven. How about this? Where do you see net capital in ten years? Well, I'll, first. Okay. Where okay. Do you see Sorry, yours? this like is your show. Thirty. Can we cut his mic now? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're intimately connected, right? Like I am, you know, net capital. It's like my baby, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so um, I think it in, in many ways is, is easier for me to answer that question than where I see myself because it's sort of one's a function of the other. Mm -hmm. um, and where I see net capital in 10 years is that there are the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and net capital mm -hmm. and net capital is the place that you go to buy and sell shares in private mm -hmm. companies. Mm -hmm. And so if, if you're looking to invest in a company, if you're starting a company, if you own a company, if you're an employee of a company and you have options, the software and the site that you go to to help you turn that equity into cash or turn your cash into equity is net capital. Uh, so that's where I see the company in 10 years. And I see myself as obviously being a a big part of of that and getting us to that vision yeah what like what drives you every day what drives me every day to like get up in your depressing town cold <laughs> <laughs> you know new york's not that much better <laughs> you were just saying that you would love to live here on the walk in here <laughs> did you really yeah i don't know if i said that you did i didn't say i'd love to live here i said i love boston but i don't think i could live here and you go really come on yeah that was your reaction yeah so that i would assume that that means that you could really see yourself living here 
Um, That's not how I should Where were you that. born, Donnie? Where did you grow up? New York. Like Long Island or like the city? Both. What does that mean? Uh, Long Island till I was 14 and then Manhattan. Mm. Yeah. So you've been in New York your whole life? I've been in New York my whole life. Hmm. Um, but yeah, what this business fulfills you, obviously. What what like drives you to I like, get up every morning and like put everything into it? Yeah, it's like, a good what question. Makes, what makes you happy? Oh, those are different questions, I think. Um, I'll answer one at a time. Answer what 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 drives, what drives you me? to like pour everything into your company every single day? I really believe that what we're doing is important. I mean, I really believe that the private markets has been locked down to the most wealthy and most well-connected people in the world for, you know, since the exchange act of 1934. And, you know, you see, you see the, you see, you see like the articles, like you see the articles, like, uh, did you see in Forbes, like the Uber rich article? And it's saying, these are the angel investors that invested early in Uber and are now billionaires or whatever. And they're all people, you know, right. Fan, the fanning family is one of them, right? They're all people you know, and it's like, well, hold on a second. What made Uber successful is the fleet of drivers who quit their job because Mm -hmm. they believed in this business. They believed that they could make a living by driving Uber. Mm -hmm. And the thousands of customers who were like, wait, yeah, I don't need a cab. I can just call an Uber. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that if we had given those individuals the opportunity to invest in that company, they would have. Right. They would have taken a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars and said, this, this product's awesome. I want to invest in it. It's like the, you know, Peter Lynch from Fidelity, the famous fund manager at Peter, uh, at Fidelity. He, he once said, it's not that hard to be a good investor. Mm -hmm. You just go through your daily life and you see what products Mm -hmm. create value for you and you go invest in those products. And the problem is that doesn't really work in today's day and age because these companies are staying private for so long mm-hmm. that it's like, how do I invest in Airbnb? How do I invest in DraftKings? How do I invest in these companies that create a lot of value for me on a daily basis that, well, ap- apparently I'm not legally allowed to because I'm not an accredited investor. And so to me, I think what drives me is I think what we're doing is right. And I think what we're doing is going to, like, it's an it's almost an unstoppable wave, right? Every industry is getting digitized. Mm-hmm. Every industry is being disrupted by technology and the way that people have been investing in private companies has remained unchanged it's still the old boys club it's the death by a thousand coffees you go door to door and you get into meetings with angel investors and you go through your slide deck or you stand up on stage at an angel group or you go into the boardroom Mm -hmm. with the venture firm and it's like that's going to change at some point at some point technology is going to take over that process and i think that it's a really important process because it's how it's how innovation gets funded in a country that prides itself on innovation death by a thousand coffees i love that by the way it's so true when you have a business and you're passionate about that business it really is meeting 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 swing in the bat every single day the average entrepreneur meets with 40 investors before they get one to invest. Mm-hmm. So, and how many business meetings do they take just to bring business into? I mean, it's just it really is owning your own business. Everyone in this room has their own business and it really is just getting up every day and motivating yourself to just keep going and endlessly trying. And you have to always be on because it's your job. Mm-hmm. Like like you ask what's my job? What's my day to day? Like I I think that the number one most important thing 
for me to do as the CEO of my company is to create excitement, is to create excitement within my team, to create excitement with potential investors, to create excitement with existing investors, to create excitement with our customer base, to create excitement with our potential partners. It, it's so how do you, how do you do that? I mean, like, how do you have that mindset every single day where you're, you're able to get everyone excited? It's draining, but it's also, I mean, I'm excited. I mean, it, it's, it, it's easiest yeah, but, but, when you're I mean, excited. You're probably, um, probably work out, <laughs> you eat healthy. You, are you hitting um, on me? Yeah. I mean, cause <laughs> you have to have, um, you have to have, um, you have to be in good physical shape. I mean, mental, mentally you need to be on. <laughs> is this, are you sort of, I'm saying, isn't that an important part of you being on and getting your team excited every single day? Like if I you don't have the mental, if you don't have the physical. Yeah, for, for sure. And, and also like it's, it's weathering the storm too. But, but how do you, so how do you, you take care of yourself outside sure. of work? I try. No, is that is that an important part of you? I th you know what's I think the most important piece is which like, you can skipped you, can over you be is eating sleep. like pizza every night. No beer. No. Okay, so you, I mean you I'm can sometimes. It's not like my. It's you not do like a I'm, lot of work outside. I'm not LeBron James, right? Like I don't sleep in a hyperbaric chamber <laughs> and, <laughs> and take care of my body. Does in he that way. sleep in one <laughs> or whatever? <laughs> that would be pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't. I don't think that I've. I'm like over the top nutritionist. Over the top. I mean, I. I try to cut sugar out of my diet. You know, that's actually a John thing. John's really into mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's convinced me of that way of life as well. I mean, I, I work out. I don't work out as much as I should. I, I really think the most important thing is sleep. Mm -hmm. I think that if you don't get an, I think a trap that a lot of people fall into is they think this is my business. I need to pour everything into this. I can't do anything but this because everybody's counting on me. Everybody's relying on me. That's that's where that's the most crushing pressure mm -hmm. for me. Like my I have a team of 15 now. Like I need to keep I mean if I don't if I don't perform, if I don't provide, they're all relying on me. I have I have dozens of angel investors who have invested in the company to help us get this far. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let them down. But also though if you don't like sleep, you're right. But if you don't step back and live a regular life to some degree, you lose perspective and you lose like you live in a bubble then, which eventually will kill you. So yeah. that's how important that's is, that, my, is that balance and I, turning I, your phone off? I think that's the most important, like eating right, going to the gym. That's just good for anybody. But for, for, for I think, John, you hit the nail on the head for me. What's most important is continuing to do things that take my mind off of work. I used to live in like downtown Boston in the theater district, a seven minute walk from my office. Cause I was like, I'll be right at my office. I'll be there first thing in the morning. I'll be the last one there. I had to move. I never left. Mm -hmm. I was in the same like three block radius for two years and I never left. So I was like, I need to just, I need to stop doing it. It's not sustainable. I mean, I've been running the business now for four years. You can't keep up that level of intensity it's just not sustainable mm -hmm. and so to me like i try to make sure that i sleep eight hours a day and like sometimes i'm working till one or two or, or three a.m and it's okay then mm -hmm. if i sleep till till you know 10 mm -hmm. yeah. for me that's how i am sometimes sometimes i i you know the other way around or whatever the case may be but like you really have to take i found that i really have to take care of myself because if i'm not in a good state mentally you know, I show up to work at 6 a.m. and I don't get anything done because sometimes you're busy and you're not actually accomplishing mm -hmm, anything. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is sometimes 
I find you asked what my day to day is like. Sometimes I fall into the trap where I'm only doing what's most urgent and I'm not doing what's most important. And that's really hard. I'm sure you experience that. Non-stop. Two things. One, I think also one of the perils of working at home, which so many of us are now, is falling into that same trap of you just never change your environment. You're always working all the time. I can't do it. And you just get lost in that. Another thing that you were mentioning about about um, distraction or like working on what's most urgent. There's a really cool book. We just did an interview with, um, what's his name? Um, Nir Eyal. Yeah, Nir Eyal. He has a book out. It's a new book. It's called... Um, indistractable Mm -hmm. and it's all about how there are so many distractions in our lives and how and like the it's a really good playbook for how to deal with that but one of the things he talks about a lot is how so many of us will just take what feels like it's an easy task just to get it done like oh here's an easy quick email to keep dealing with but you're just putting off the real work that you need to be getting done it's really hard but we need to like focus on what do we actually need to do in like our work day to actually be making progress, not just what feels good because it's checking a box. And that's hard to make that distinction. Especially as the leader of a company, it's really hard to delegate. It's, it's people who aren't in that position. I, it's hard to understand what I mean when I say that I'm sure you understand, right? Like it is my baby. Like the, when I speak about net capital, like that's, that's like, thousands of hours of me having meetings and conversations and thinking about the business coming out in like a condensed and clear and concise explanation. And when I trust someone else to represent that brand, that's hard. And when you delicate a task like, hey. That's why you don't want John to come today. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I told him, hey, I told him. You really wanted to. Yeah. (laughs) You know, stay at home. I well yeah he stays at home. <laughs> I think it helps to stay at home when you live you know like on a mansion on the beach. Uh, that might make it easier. But I, we I can cut that out if you want. I, <laughs> that it'd be nice to work from home there. But yes, it's so, having someone represent you. It that, that takes a lot of trust and it like really especially does. when it's your passion, especially when they work for you. You know they can just walk away and get a new job if mm-hmm. they want. But this is your, I think maybe part of it is making them feel as invested as you are. Well, and that, I mean, that's what I did. I mean, everybody who's a, who's a part of the team has ownership in in my business. Um, I thought that was really important Uh, because to me, it's like, I want you to be in the boat with me. We both need to paddle in the same direction. And if we don't, we're going to sink together. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to swim, we're going to swim together. And that's the way I've done it. Um, and that's been successful. Uh, it's been grueling. It's been hard. Uh, but yeah, I, I really think the, the doing what's most important instead of what's most urgent is, is critically difficult. And it's something I haven't yet mastered. One thing that helps me a lot is making lists. What's the difference though? So what's, what's, what's urgent is usually what's most important to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And what's most important is what's most important to yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I think it's a very good way to define it. I mean, the most important thing is defining what your overarching, the most important, what the actual goal is. And then anything that pulls you away from that goal is a distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all connected, right? And I think ideally, like the urgent things need to be taken care of. If you have a customer who's having a problem or having a crisis and they're knocking down your door, they need help, right? Like someone needs to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I think the best organizations have a mechanism mm-hmm. and organization that can sustain that mm-hmm. so that the person who can do 
things that only that person can do can continue to stay focused on what it is that needs to be done to get the company to the next level. And that's sort of how I think of it. It's like building a company is like you constantly want to progress from level to level to level. Like I, I distinctly remember when uh, net capital turned, went from just me with an idea to me with a team of five people. That was like, whoa, we just took the next level. And then I distinctly remember when we got uh, accepted by, you know, with FINRA and the SEC, we became a registered funding portal. It was like, oh my God, like we can do this. Mm -hmm. I distinctly remember when we first launched our beta product. It's like, whoa, we have customers now. People are coming to the site and using it. I distinctly remember when Donnie first used the withdrawal function. (laughs) 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 You see what I mean, right? And so it's like, that's the next level. That's the next level. That's the next level. And it's like, it gets, it gets a little murkier, the larger you get, like what's the next level for net capital now is a little bit more difficult to answer than what was the next level at the time where we had no product, right? It was clearly to get a product. To me, the next level for net capital is finding a way to get buy side distribution at scale. Cause right now, I mean, we've helped over a hundred companies, companies see value. What, in using. what does that mean? It means that at, at our core, we're a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Like, and what I mean by that is like Airbnb is a marketplace, right? Like there's people who have houses who mm-hmm. are trying to get people to stay in it. And there are people who are looking to stay in houses. So we're, we're that way in, 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 in a way that I mean is there are companies that are looking to sell shares. And then there are people who are looking to buy shares. We've spent most of our energy and efforts getting the companies that want to sell shares to be excited about using the platform. Because the core, one of the core values that Net Capital provides is that we allow entrepreneurs and private companies to advertise that they're raising capital. That's never been possible before. So instead of the death by a thousand coffees way, you can run a Twitter campaign, you can run an email campaign, you can put it on your app, right, on your product, mm-hmm. and you can say, invest in my company today. And so we made a conscious choice, which was, let's go get great companies. Let's teach them how to use these advertising rules to raise capital. And then we'll get investor users because they know the companies. Mm -hmm. And that's how we've grown our investor base. We have 22,000 users on net capital today. I think the next step for us is figuring out how do we become like Robin Hood, like E-Trade, where people... You know, we just have all of the investors, all of the users, anybody who wants to invest in a private company knows that they can come to Net Capital to browse. Um, and to, to, you know, there are two ways for us to do that. One is to build it organically, right? So, you know, traditional marketing challenge how do we go from 22,000 to 22 million users? Mm-hmm. And the other is through partnerships. Um, I'm personally typically biased to if you can part, you know, don't rebuild the wheel if you don't have to. Mm -hmm. And so we're exploring various partnerships with various firms to see if there's a fit in a way that's mutually beneficial. Cause I think there's a lot of things we can provide that's valuable to those sorts of firms. And there's obviously things that those firms can provide to us. And so we're in that exploratory phase and we're going to make a decision whether we're going to go the organic route or we're Mm -hmm. going to go the partnership route. And it's sort of, you know, we don't know where we are yet, but I think that's, that's what the next level looks like for us. Very cool. Jason Frischman, founder, CEO of Net Capital. Appreciate you coming on today. Appreciate being here. John Fadigate, thanks for stepping in. Thank you. You, you didn't expect to be really on Really enjoyed this today. conversation. Um, yeah, we learned a lot. Um, yeah. And then netcapital.com. Is that right? That's right. That's where uh, entrepreneurs can go, investors can go. And buyers yeah. who want to invest. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anything you want to add? Where can people, where else can people find you or Net Capital? Uh, no, that's the place to be. If you have questions, you can email us hello at netcapital.com. If there's a company you want to see on the site, you can let us know. If there, if you have a company you want to get on the site, let us know. Um, and thank you, Donnie. Cool. And thank you, Alyssa Meckel, uh, for hosting us at Staples Connect and iHeartRadio as well. Yeah, make sure you go. If there's a Staples Connect near you, go check out the studio. It's really cool. Really They're coming all they over ex- the country I hope soon. they expand like rapidly. I will say one thing. This is awesome. When I first walked in here and I walked up the stairs, there's this big sign that says TSA Pre. Yeah. And that was eye-opening to me because it's a pain to like go to the airport, especially in Boston. I mean, in New York too. Yeah. Like the last, when I got TSA Pre, I had to go to Boston Logan Airport and like wait Apparently, you can do it at Staples. At Staples. Staples they're innovating. They're so really apparently, cool you can What's get next? your TSA pre-check at Staples. So What's that's next, right? Who know? Who, yeah, who, who knows? All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, John. Thanks.